Hello out there and welcome to What Are You, a podcast exploring aspects of race and identity through a biracial and multiracial lens. I'm your co-host, Paula Thomas, and we're joined as always with my co-host, Mr. Stacey Thomas. What's going on, y'all? So Stace, a lot of stuff in the news, but what's going on today? Well, there's only been one thing that has been dominating news coverage lately, and we all know that it's Ukraine. Mm-hmm. We can't not either look at our social media feeds or turn on some news and we're always going to hear some things about Ukraine. So in today's episode, we want to talk about what's going on in Ukraine. We want to ask, why should we care? What does this have to do with race and identity, which you know that we talk about on this pod? So let's just get right to it. So Mr. Thomas, why should we care about what's going on in Ukraine? Yeah, we should care because... We're seeing a group of people who are in crisis and need support. And from us just being human, we should care about that. I know it seems quite a distance away from where we are, a totally different hemisphere. Mm -hmm. Why should we even be tripping on that? But when you're seeing folks that are in high need, we should do our best if we have the resources and the capacity to support those people with those needs. Yeah, we should remember we are all on one planet, on one globe that we share together. It's it's like climate change. Climate change doesn't just affect, you know, one country, one area of the world. It affects all of us. And what I hear you saying, Stace, is that we are all interconnected. We are human. And when we see a humanitarian crisis uh, unfold, uh, we should all care about it. Yes. I mean, we're also looking at how one country is invading another country. Mm -hmm. They're infringing upon the sovereignty of a community, basically said a community said like, hey, this is us and this is where we're going to to set up. And we're seeing another country say, no, we don't care what you said. We're just gonna Mm -hmm. take take whatever we want. And that's problematic. That's true. I think we would feel very differently if Canada was like, hey, you know what? I know that you have your own government and your own elected leaders and your own laws, but, you know, we're just going to come in and just take it and just do what we want. I think we would all feel a little uh, yeah, uh, upset by that. I think, I think uh, we would feel some type of way about that. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. So not to get too deep into a history lesson, but just sort of a high level view about kind of where the U.S. is in regards to Europe and the Ukraine situation. After the world was plunged into two world wars, U.S. and its allies in Europe came together to form a pact called NATO, in which they agreed to defend each other against any other encroaching nation that is trying to take them over. This is in direct response to, as we saw Hitler march into Warsaw, Poland, march into Paris, then try to take over these other sovereign nations, which is what Vladimir Putin, the head of Russia, was also stating in some of his speeches about why he's invading Ukraine, recalling the glory days of the USSR and the Soviet Union when those countries in Eastern Europe were under their control. And now that Ukraine has broken away, uh, Russia has some feelings about that and wants them back. Let me just say, too, that this also reminds me of uh, the China situation 
in regards to Taiwan. So even though Taiwan is a country of Chinese people and Mandarin speakers, they are not part of China. They are their own sovereign nation. And China has been for many, many years, many decades, threatening to sort of take them back by force. So we see that here with Russia and Ukraine. And even though Ukraine is not themselves part of NATO, some of the surrounding countries around Ukraine are, and they will be affected by this invasion. And of course, they also do not want to be the next country that Russia invades. And plus, we just all want to support Ukraine and say, hey, no to invading sovereign nations and basically no to an expansion of imperialism. Yeah, also just agency and where can a people determine what it is that they, how they want to govern themselves mm -hmm. or how they want to identify culturally. You know, because I've heard some arguments like well, one of the reasons why Putin and Russia is invading Ukraine is because they got scared because of NATO expansion, because the North Atlantic Treaty Organization has incorporated other countries that used to be part of the former Soviet Union. And that Russia found that scary. So they felt like they had to retaliate and invade. Ukraine. So they had to go kill other people. That yeah. was that was their excuse. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Basically, it's like, well, if the NATO hadn't expanded, then maybe this wouldn't have happened in the first place. But what I don't think a lot of people take into account is those countries wanted to be part of NATO. Like, mm -hmm. it was their choice. Right. Because previously, what did uh, Russia do or the old Soviet Union do? Mm -hmm. They took them over. Yeah. So they said, like, we don't want that, and we can't do it by ourselves, so can we team up with y'all to make sure that doesn't happen? Yeah, I mean, the, and let's think about it, too. The USSR fell apart, I want to say, like, the early 90s. Uh, 1991. So some of these countries, Eastern Euro European countries that broke away from Russia after the fall of the Soviet Union are pretty young countries with young, you know, depending on the type of governments they have, democracies or not, but their governments are quite young. So they're still quite vulnerable. And as we all have learning in our own country after 200 plus years, you know, as a, as a country, our democracy is also vulnerable. So even more so for them. So I think you're right. Like some of them chose to align themselves in partnership with a, with a group of countries that they knew were not going to invade them. So one of the things you mentioned, Stacey, too, about is this humanitarian crisis, right? So we have, I believe Ukraine is about 40 million people plus, which is about the population size of California, the most populous state in the U.S. That's a lot. That's a lot of people. Yeah. And so... As any time that you have war or conflict, people are fleeing. So we have refugees going into several countries, Poland, Moldova. Hungary. Hungary, thank you. And according to the news reports, they've been opened with welcome arms. All those countries have been super supportive. Yeah, it's good. Mm -hmm. They're providing them shelter, providing them entry through the border. I think there was even talk for some countries to even fast track visas for these folks. Which is quite amazing. It is. But because this is a show about race and identity, we got to bring that into this story. There have been some reporting of some discrepancies between how 
African and Indian uh, people who are either studying or working or tourists abroad in Ukraine have been treated when they've been at those same borders. So let me play a few clips for you right now. The United Nations reports more than 800,000 people have fled Ukraine since Russia attacked last week, but many foreign nationals trying to escape have described racist discrimination and abuse, saying they were turned away from buses and at the border while Ukrainians were welcomed with open arms. India's governments dispatched ministers to Ukraine's border with Poland after people from India seeking to cross from Ukraine to Poland reported they were told to go to Romania instead. Citizens of several African countries report they were also pushed back from Poland because they are black. Some 16,000 African students are thought to have been studying in Ukraine. Several African governments also condemned the racism Africans in Ukraine faced while trying to escape, with the African Union calling the treatment a breach of international law. Yeah. So we heard in the news uh, for years prior to this, especially as conflict heated up in Syria mm -hmm. uh, with ISIS, and there were a lot of uh, refugees coming from, from Syria and the, and the rest of the Middle East. Uh, unfortunately, we heard a lot about of treacherous journeys and lives lost trying to, you know, cross the Mediterranean and get into some European Union countries. And some countries have been really good about accepting folks from that region of the world as well. I believe Germany was yes, pretty open. Yes, um, but others have not been, mm -hmm. and they've and less so. And some have put up barbed wire fencing. Mm -hmm. as a way to deter. In fact, Belarus, which is also a former Soviet Union country, which is actually pretty aligned with Russia, they actually helped create a humanitarian crisis at the border of Poland mm. with refugees because they knew Poland didn't really want Syrian refugees mm. in. So they helped exasperate? They absolutely exasperate. That was like part of their tactic. Mm to exasperate that situation. Mm -hmm. But as we're seeing now, Poland as well as some other European countries have been very open with the Ukrainian refugees. Mm -hmm. And what I would say is, that's great. Like, it's great those countries are wrapping their arms around people who are in need. We just also, and we'll bring this up later in terms of reference point, people of color, you know, when people are darker skinned or from, there aren't white, mm -hmm. <laughs> black, black and brown people coming through. We would like that too. Yeah, yeah. So let's go ahead and play some news coverage of those European countries that we just praised for letting in Ukrainian refugees easily. And to your point, Stace, how they responded when Syrian refugees a few years ago were at their borders. The humanitarian crisis in Europe continues to grow and increasingly expose fault lines, hundreds of thousands of refugees streaming in from Syria and elsewhere. But as the arguing continues, so does the suffering. As Europe struggles for a solution, refugees forced to zigzag from one country to another with no clear path. The EU has effectively paid Turkey to keep Syrians from getting to Greece. Poland had pledged to take in a number of the refugees, saying now that it is not going to do that. We will not be receiving migrants 
migrants from the Middle East and North Africa in Poland. This is Hungary's solution to the flood of refugees pouring in. A 13-foot fence topped with razor wire running about 115 miles along its border with Serbia. Police in ride gear told they can shoot rubber bullets at anyone who tries to cross. Hostility here in Hungary. Video shocking the world. The Hungarian camera woman kicking that girl as she runs from police. And this, as a man runs by carrying a small child, she trips him and he falls to the ground. Hungary's Prime Minister Viktor Orban had a message for the migrants themselves. The moral human thing is to make clear, please don't come. You know, those clips also remind me of, I guess it was around the 2018 election. The right-wing media was all up in arms about the caravans coming through to the U.S. But basically, they were brown people from Central America needing help and assistance. Also refugees, also walking on foot, also crossing borders. Mm -hmm. And they were demonized, and how dare they, and we don't have space for them, and they're considered other so I, I hear what you're saying. So when listening to those clips, Dace, I'm also reminded about, we've talked about before in this pod, about anti-Blackness not being just an American thing and how that is seen worldwide. Can you speak a little bit more about that? You know, I think what we're seeing, even not just here in the U.S., we're seeing a lot of coverage. We're seeing it in our social media feeds. People are doing their best to support Ukraine People are renting Airbnbs in Ukraine mm. and just not showing up as a way to funnel money mm. into there, which is, that's some awesome stuff. Like right. I, Sports uh, teams are like doing yeah. the whole thing. Yeah, it's great. Congress it, was wearing Ukrainian colors at the State of the Union. Yeah, it's it's really good. Uh, but what we're, again, when we have conflicts in other places, we don't see that kind of coverage. The stuff happening in Palestine or in Kashmir or in Yemen we you or Central know, America or Central America, there's just not that kind of outpouring of support. Mm -hmm. And so that in that in itself, people have a hard time to really think about is that is actual racism. Mm -hmm. And the racism is even how much coverage this is even mm. getting. Mm -hmm. And again, I'm not saying people shouldn't be watching news coverage or be taking in, but just look at how much it dominates everything when it's centered on white Europeans. Mm. You know, so that's just a fact. We weren't getting that kind of coverage, as I mentioned, in some of those conflicts in other parts of the world, which are also very needy mm -hmm. and are also like it was very big crises. And let's hear a couple of news clips of how the media is actually covering what you said, states the differences between those problematic areas like you mentioned, you know, in Yemen and in Palestine versus Ukraine. This is not a developing third world nation. This is Europe. These are prosperous middle class people. These are not people trying to get away from areas in North Africa. They look like any European family that you would live next door to. What could be a difference here from other conflicts, you know, that could seem very far away, you know, in Africa or Middle East or whatever. I mean, these are Europeans that we're seeing uh, being killed. This isn't a place, with all due respect, um, you know, like Iraq or Afghanistan. You know, this is a relatively civilized, uh, relatively European, I have to choose those words carefully too, uh, city where you wouldn't expect that or hope that it's going to happen. 
yeah, those those reporters were pretty blatant about how they viewed uh, the differences between conflicts in different areas of the world. What's also in the news is that WNBA player... Brittany Griner. Yeah, she was trying to leave Russia, got detained because reportedly she has some hash, hash oil on her. Uh, why was she there, Stace? Uh, she was there to play basketball. So those that don't know, a lot of WNBA players play overseas in other countries when the actual WNBA season here in the United States is not happening. And so her and a lot and the of the reason is because the reason is is because they're not getting paid a whole lot. Mm-hmm. So they're not getting paid like NBA players. They're not. No, it's not even close. Mm. So they supplement that income by playing in other places, and that's why she was in Russia. Mm. Yeah, I am. I won't lie. Um, I'm just kind of worried about her. She's black. She's queer, and Russia is not necessarily a very tolerant place when it comes to LGBTQ plus folks. So we hope the best for her, and hopefully she can get home. Yeah, so the whole situation, uh, the invasion of Ukraine has brought up a reason why we, as those living in the United States, should really be dismantling racist practices and policies within our own country, within our own borders. And the reason being is, if we hold ourselves up to be a moral North Star for a good portion of the world, we need to get our house in order as much as possible to be an example of a functioning, productive, multiracial society. When we don't do that, other nations point to us and say, hey, you're saying we shouldn't do this, but you're doing the exact same thing. Mm -hmm. So this, again, pushes us to really work on dismantling those racist practices and policies and institutions. It also reminds me of 2016. So we talk about Russia, who who really is a bad actor on the world stage. Really bad actor. Can I just say too, just a little sidebar, like I think it's so interesting that Vladimir Putin, the head of Russia, who's like, he's like 69, 70 years old. He's like one of the richest men in the world. Well, it's all this power in Russia. And yet he is like not a happy person and feels like he needs to invade other countries. Like, I just think the psychology of that type of person is interesting and sad at the same time. But in 2016, around the presidential election, when 45 was elected and he was going up against Hillary Clinton, Russia targeted on social media and other places African-Americans. And they tried to exploit divisions on race that African-Americans have, and and white people as well, and African-Americans' own fears within the country. Yeah, so uh, there is obviously, during the 2015 and 2016 elections, they were really flooding the the internet and social media sphere with their bots. Really, what we really know a lot is alt-right fears or, uh, you know, kind of white fears of, of black and brown people and fanning those flames. Mm-hmm. Uh, but we've also seen, like you mentioned, Paula, there were also posts uh, that were targeting black people. Mm-hmm. And some of those were sign up for black people for guns or self-defense or how to use guns or self-defense classes. Like that was also present. So Russia has been this actor that has really, really tried to stoke the fears of white folks as well as black and brown folks within this country. 
Mm-hmm. Because, I mean, let's just face it, Vladimir Putin's been very open about how he feels about the U.S. And uh, he does not have our best interests at heart. He does not. And a weaker U.S. is vulnerable. We're vulnerable to misinformation. We're vulnerable to making bad decisions. And there's even some talk, and I, you know, again, I'm not a political pundit and know all this stuff, but I have heard some talk about one of the reasons, many reasons why Vladimir Putin struck the Ukraine now is because after January 6th and the attack on our capital, we are considered a lot more weaker, right? Another thing that got me thinking about it, and I'll just want to bring this up really quickly, is the idea about climate change and clean energy. Russia's biggest economy is gas and oil. Mm-hmm. And we don't have we don't use as much gas and oil in the US from Russia, but a lot of Europe does. Yes. So that's do. important. Yes. But as the world, as we are all dependent on gas and oil and fossil fuels that also, you know, help warm the planet, it also shows us a little bit more about how we're also dependent on some of these bad actors in the world because we're dependent on those energy sources. And we think about Saudi Arabia, and I believe they killed a Washington Post journalist a couple years ago. And obviously, they're not punished. Why? They have oil. You know, when we talk about people feeling that they have no accountability in the world, um, and these dictators and these autocrats, it's important for us to realize, like, why they're in power, and how can we lessen our dependence on them and, and on those energy sources. Um, and then the better way to, you know, two birds with one stone, you know, also to help fight climate change is to also develop more clean energy technologies here at home and abroad. Yeah, that's why it's important for us to, when I said dismantle racist practices and policies, energy dependency on finite sources, a lot of times exacerbates those situations. Mm. How many folks say that they, you know, they're looking at gas prices is going up, but, you know, you have people with electric cars, that's not really a problem. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But who are the kind of people that are usually dependent on the actual gasoline? Right. Like usually, you know, black and brown folks, particularly. Um, and for, lower income folks. And lower income folks. And they usually, they are usually the folks that have to commute usually further for whatever purposes. Mm-hmm. Uh, so their their energy Poor people pay for a lot on energy. <laughs> mm-hmm. uh, I've seen such it's Higher more interest rates, everything. A, a, everything. It actually costs more to be poor. Mm-hmm. The, the tax that people of lower income have to pay is just astronomical. So when I going back to what I said, by dismantling racist practices and institutions and policies such as energy dependency, you know that is something that we should be taking a look at. But. I overall like what you're saying, this idea, Paula, about this collectivism. I think that this crisis has shown what we're capable of as a people across the world Mm -hmm. and in this country. And why I think that's really important for us as people of color is because it's a reference point that uh, we can point to for when we have white people who are decision makers— they have shown us what they're capable of. We have something and evidence to show them, like, and when we're also in need, mm-hmm. we kind of expect the same thing. Right. Mm-hmm. So we could say, thank you for showing us what's possible, and we're we're going to want that for us, too. Yes. And when Haitian immigrants come, we should also be um, supportive. Yes. 
Thanks, Stace, for this great discussion. Even though we're talking about Ukraine, it touches on so many different issues. I'd like to leave our audience with the Kenyan ambassador to the UN on his speech on why they do not support the invasion of Ukraine by Russia. Kenya and almost every African country was birthed by the ending of empire. Our borders were not of our own drawing. They were drawn in the distant colonial metropoles of London, Paris, and Lisbon, with no regard for the ancient nations that they cleaved apart. Today, across the border of every single African country live our countrymen, with whom we share deep historical, cultural, and linguistic bonds. At independence, had we chosen to pursue states on the basis of ethnic, racial, or religious homogeneity, we would still be waging bloody wars these many decades later. Instead, we agreed that we would settle for the borders that we inherited, but we would still pursue continental political, economic, and legal integration. Rather than form nations that looked ever backwards into history with a dangerous nostalgia, we chose to look forward to a greatness none of our many nations and peoples had ever known. We chose to follow the rules of the Organization of African Unity and the United Nations Charter, not because our borders satisfied us, but because we wanted something greater forged in peace. We believe that all states formed from empires that have collapsed or retreated have many peoples in them yearning for integration with peoples in neighboring states. This is normal and understandable. After all, who does not want to be joined to their brethren and to make common purpose with them? However, Kenya rejects such a yearning from being pursued by force. We must complete our recovery from the embers of dead empires in a way that does not plunge us back into new forms of domination and oppression. We rejected irredentism and expansionism on any basis, including racial, ethnic, religious, or cultural factors. We reject it again today. Those are powerful words. Absolutely, absolutely. He said, and I quote, the embers of dead empires. That was, that was brilliant writing. And I appreciate him articulating that experience. Thank you out there. What are you pod listeners? We just wanted to get this one out for you real quick. We know that this is topical and top of mind, and it gives you a little bit of context to think about this Ukraine situation and how we should think about it here in the U.S. Don't forget to follow us on Instagram at whatareyoupod. And if you have any other topic ideas or suggestions for us, please email us at whatareyou1619 at gmail.com. And if you are listening to us on Apple Podcasts, feel free to give us a strong review if you like what you're listening to, whether that's written as well as those five stars. And also remember to hit subscribe uh, if you're listening to us on Stitcher or on Spotify, etc. So you know that when the next one is in your feed, we know how excited you get when you see, oh, there's another one of those out. <laughs> Absolutely. Yes. Uh, so yes. And we hope to have another episode out to you very shortly. We got to interview a, a young Gen Zer who was multiracial and talked to her about her experiences in this time and place 
about growing up and being biracial. So stay tuned. I'm Paula Thomas. And I'm Stacy Thomas. Stay safe and healthy. Spooky Calavera on the beat, y'all. Ooh.